Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series, breaking down our top 10 men's and women's teams, heading into the 2022 college tennis season. As such, I'm joined by the head coach of our preseason number nine women's team. It's Texas A&M women's tennis head coach Mark Weaver joining me to discuss another successful campaign for the Aggies in 2021. They reached their sixth Sweet 16 in the past eight seasons, seventh overall in program history. As such, I had to ask Coach Weaver, what is clicking so well down in College Station? Of course, he's also a coach that brings back four supremely talented and experienced returners to go along with the number two recruiting class in the nation, according to TennisRecruiting.net. This is a team that has accumulated quite a bit of talent entering the 2022 season. As such, I wanted to ask Coach Weaver how he gets the most out of that talent, how he used this fall to prepare for the spring, what he thinks the role of the fall is in general, and then, of course, some of the other big picture topics going around college tennis. When should the NCAA individual tournament be played? Is there anything else we can do to make the sport that much more entertaining without sacrificing the development of all of these players? It is a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, I will quickly point out, if you want to hear our breakdown of Texas A&M, hop on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. John Parsons and myself break down the team in depth. You can read more on them on the website, crackrackets.com. From John Parsons, of course, you can uh, watch a three to five recap slash hype video of the Aggies on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well. But without further ado, you came to hear from the Texas A&M head coach, so let's get to it. Here is my conversation with the one and only head coach, Mark Weaver. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today, the 1991 Southwest Conference Freshman of the Year, of course, now entering his seventh season as the head coach of the Texas A&M Women's Tennis Program. Welcome back to the show, Coach Mark Weaver. Coach, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, it is always a pleasure. We had so much uh, fun the first time. I figured I still have a laundry list of questions to ask you about. And obviously, we are talking here uh, at the midway through November. Fall season's coming to a wrap. The first question I have for you, how nice has it been to just have a normal fall once again? Yeah, nice to have a normal fall uh, once again. Uh, definitely the whole COVID deal just helps you put things in perspective and how appreciative uh you know, we all can be of our uh, jobs and positions and the things that we get to do in uh, normal life. Perhaps we all are guilty of taking uh, simple things in life for granted. And uh, yeah, great to get back to doing the stuff that we love. No, I've forgotten how to have a normal conversation. I was talking to non-tennis people last weekend, and I was like, you guys don't want to hear about Arizona State's five and six singles conundrum? Like, really? I, I figure that's what everyone likes to talk about nowadays, because that's all I've been talking about the past 18 months. But no, it's, it's certainly great to have a sense of normalcy, and I know for college tennis fans, we enjoyed the return of individual events such as the All-American and the National Fall Championships, but I know... In particular, talking to the SEC men's coaches, one of the perhaps silver linings from a, in a positive standpoint from last fall was the emergence of hidden duels and playing those hidden duels to help prepare you for the spring duel match season. Now, I'm curious where you stand on that because I just 
I have this sneaking suspicion that we're going to see a lot more of hidden duels coming over the next couple of years. Do you think that's a better way to prepare for the season than some of the individual events? Uh, absolutely. I think the hidden duel is, is the right way to go. Um, you know, the uh, the regional type events are just really tough. You know, you get the 64, 128 draws and they end up being like 12, 15 hour days. It just that you bring the team and a lot of waiting around and, uh, you know, the, the hidden duels are uh, the way to go. And, you know, we've got a bunch of uh, freshmen this year. We've got five freshmen. So getting them a flavor for uh, what that kind of feels like. We were able to play two events already at Rice and in our place. And uh, yeah, I get to close out the season with, with one here at A&M was a great way to end. And, uh, you know, the kids, they were like, oh, that's the most fun I've ever had. I love it. And I'm um, just, uh, well, you know, it's actually going to get far more fun, fun in the spring when we're actually trying to get the four points on the board. And, uh, you know, you're just getting guaranteed uh, matches in, whereas in a tournament format, maybe you're, you know, you get a tough draw and then you're out really quick and, and the hidden goals you are getting, you know, at least three tough matches and uh, getting good competition in each time, you know. Mm-hmm. No, and it leads me to thinking just what is the purpose of the fall? If the fall is to prepare for the spring, then you want to play as many team matches as possible at the same time. And I know this is a big picture topic and I'm hitting you with a big question early here in the podcast, but I'm going to go for it anyways. To me, if you're going to do an individual season, why wouldn't you move the NCAA individual championships to the fall? Because in that respect, then you have the the All-American, the regionals, the national fall championships, and the NCAAs. You have an individual portion of the season and a team portion of the season. Other than that, you know, if without doing that, what are we really doing in the fall? Like, what's the point of all these events is what, it, you know, watching this fall leaves me thinking – where are you on that topic in terms of where the individual NCAAs should be on the schedule? I feel very strongly that we should have individual NCAA championships in the fall. Um, you know, I don't have the perfect solution. I, I get that maybe some freshmen will maybe miss out on uh, this and that. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I've been uh, – through it so much and as a big of a deal as the individual is there always is a letdown after the team event you know we made the I've been on both ends so in the meaning of you know you make NCAA finals you're on this huge high and then the next day you got to play the the individual portion and I've had you know some of our best tennis players like wow boy I got to go back and do the individuals And, and they're not all that excited about it and uh it shouldn't be that way. And then on the other hand, we'll get to the sweet 16 and you lose in the sweet 16 and you're just sitting around for six or seven days for the individual portion. Now we actually took some a great advantage of that time and practiced really hard. And I think that really helped our doubles team get to be uh, all Americans there. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, like I feel very strongly that the individual season uh, NCAA championship should be in the end of the fall and uh, I just think it would just make a good uh, separation uh, there. I know there's some kinks to work out, and some players may feel like they missed out on, on making it. But, uh, you know, it, it's that happens sometimes in the spring as well when you're not completing out matches. And, uh, you know, it's not always an exact science, but my vote would be a strong yes to the fall championships yeah at the end of that month of may we're all paying income tax in florida now thankfully there is no income tax but that's how long we're there for those ncaa championships i agree with you at the same time any concern because you know talk about a special environment 2013 champagne the year obviously you were part of the team that makes the final there and you know in the semifinals, you guys are playing a ucla team whose men's team is still competing in the final as well. And so, you know, that's a special environment. And, of course, by that Saturday, that Sunday, all these NCAA individual participants are filing in. Any concern you lose the specialness of that final day atmosphere by moving it? Again, I'm just trying to work all sides of the argument here. I I don't think so. Um, You you know, I think you could kind of – sell the event in, in, in different ways. And uh, I, I don't feel that uh, way at all. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, 
I, I don't think you would lose much of it. I don't know if I've really got a ton more to, to say in <laughs> yeah. that. And, uh, you know, yeah, it'd be great. Obviously get the fans uh, packed. And, uh, you know, I think the we've had some pretty good attendance in the team portion of it. I don't know that we've had great attendance in the individual portion of it. So, um, you know, I think it would feel a lot more special to the, I know back when I played back in the, Stone Ages of the early '90s, you know, we, you know, the NCAA's, even the individual portions seemed to be like such a big deal. ESPN, and uh, you know, it felt a little different than it did uh, uh, now. But um, yeah, I, I would definitely be for it. I think the the kids could prepare. Uh, mentally and physically better for it if it was separated. Yeah. Well, I'll just say it was actually when your colleague Steve Denton played, that was the Stone Ages. You were not quite – you were more like the Bronze Age. You know, we've we've advanced a little bit. But, uh, no, it's, it's so interesting because I was talking to, obviously, your former player, now head coach at Arkansas, Christina Sanchez-Quintanar. And I am curious. I want to hear your opinion. 2013 semifinal. A&M versus UCLA. You could hear me set it up in my previous question. Talk about that environment. We've never talked about that match in particular. How special was that? And obviously that building block for the program. You guys have made six NCAA round of 16s now in the past eight seasons. What does that say about Texas A&M? We're definitely a program that's headed in the right direction. And, um, you know, I do think in a lot of ways you can look back to that 2013 team that, um, yeah, it was just an amazing uh, UCLA match there. And, uh, yeah, we had so many good players then. And uh, that match was a a tricky one there. We uh, were in a pretty good uh, control of that. We had a match points against, uh, that was Enid DeHaza there. And, uh, Chanel Van Wynn there in the deciding match. It looked like we were going to close it out in straight sets, lost the match points, and then it started to look really bad <laughs> for the Haggies in the third set. And then, um, yeah, fortunately, I guess Chanel had some, uh, she had some little cramping issues there, and uh, we were able to kind of make a run there. And I think we won maybe five or six straight games there at the end. And uh, just an amazing uh, comeback by Ina there. And uh, yeah, and even just moving into that championship match uh yeah we were a hair away from from getting that one i remember we were up uh we were probably should have won the doubles point uh we ended up losing 4-3 we're up 6-0-3-0 against nicole gibbs there you you brought up christina had her chances there and then uh, christina sanku had uh christiana i believe two on the third set there and but what high level tennis that was those are some pretty impressive uh, names there and uh, yeah I feel like that way we've been able to carry on that uh, momentum there and uh, you know we feel like uh, this year's team uh, with a pretty legitimate shot of perhaps getting back to those big final round matches there. Yeah no absolutely and you look at the players you bring back uh, to this year's team a bunch of them had success last season and obviously that starts with Tatiana Makarova who I believe is preseason number 10 or number 12 in the ITA rankings and obviously her and JC Goldsmith are you know all Americans last season and they have a successful fall as well. I want to start with that top two because you look at the numbers last season 17 and 6 overall at one 18 and 7 overall at two obviously I would say objectively it wasn't the best season for the SEC conference, but they still performed that well in the SEC. What growth did you see from them last year? And I believe, is this going to be potentially the third straight year you have her, JC, and uh, Katja all back at the top of your lineup? Again, has the plan been going, you know, year one, you take some lumps. Year two, a little bit better. Is everything shaping up for a big year three? I think everything's sh- shaping up there. And, uh, yeah, like you said, Tatiana, yeah, returning at number 10 in the nation. And uh, I don't believe she lost a match in the SEC at one last year, at least in the regular season, which is pretty pretty amazing when you think back of uh, not to uh, <laughs> dog on Tatiana, but when she first got here, she was playing four and five with a, a losing record there for a while. And then just the, the transformation of her game, uh, both mentally and physically, she's become one of the best players in the nation. And, uh, you know, sometimes when kids come in, they're top 10 right off the bat, and it's really been great to see the improvement of, of Tatiana each and every year. So, uh, yeah, we know that she can perform up high for us there. And, uh, yeah, J.C. Goldsmith, I feel like this is the best. She's come in from the summer, the most prepared, played more tournaments, and uh, I think she knows – 
we've got a pretty special team this year, and she's really upped her game and bringing it more on a consistent basis. Because JC was playing some amazing tennis in the NCAA tournament there. Um, you know, we, she, she played one of her best matches of the year, even though we lost to Florida State there in a close round of 16 match. JC won her match there pretty routinely. And, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of experience from those two. And then Katya Townsend, you know, has had a great career for us as well. She's coming off of a shoulder surgery, but um, she's starting to find some pretty good uh, form right now. She was able to play uh, two events here. Uh, we just finished up, had to serve underhand, but she's actually back to serving overhand now at a pretty good, uh, about a 75% <laughs> Uh, effort there, I guess you'd say. And then, so she's got some great experience played, you know, she played number one as well at one point, uh, made the second round NCAA tournament. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot of good freshmen. I don't want to steal your next question might be about our freshmen, <laughs> but uh, we've got some pretty darn good uh, freshmen coming in a, a, as well. So yeah, I don't want to steal your thunder with any of the freshman questions, but I'd happy to they go on a few of those. Well. No, absolutely. I want to talk about them, but I have to ask because you alluded to it and you look for Tatiana and JC, 13-11 last year uh, in dual matches. Now, you know, again, you're playing number one doubles in the SEC. You're going to take some lumps. But to put together the NCAA run that they did, I mean, what clicked? I mean, certainly, you know, again, if you would have asked me, put your life on the line, what's the North Carolina team that wins a championship? I would not have said Jones and Scotty. I would have been dead wrong about that. So it was a funky tournament, no doubt. But what clicked, uh, what clicked so well for your duo? Yeah, we've really just been challenging them to just kind of bring it every day. I remember, uh, I feel like in the practices, just kind of a little too up and down and not bringing it every day, you know, not uh, – yeah, I remember my coach as my freshman year, I, I played a ton of three set matches and I should have never had gone three sets. And, you know, he told me, hey, if you don't start taking care of in practice every day, you're going to continue to have these matches going three sets that should never be. You should be winning these in two sets. And it was kind of that same mentality. I feel like we kind of got through to them as they've got. To, yeah, of course, we're all as athletes going to have our ups and downs, but it was just kind of the too, too, too many not bringing it every day in the practice and more consistency. So I think that was one thing that we kind of really challenged them with and they embraced that a little bit uh, more. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier in, in the show when we were down in Orlando, you know, they had that great, you know, I don't know if I call it a great run, but they were able to make all American there. They went two rounds and made the all American, you know, we really just got after it there. Those, five days that we had off there and uh, they really came in sharp there and got the All-American accolades, which I've been telling them for years, hey, you guys, like you guys, you know, hey, you guys should be All-Americans. Let's get this done. And I think getting that award really made them feel like, hey, we actually are pretty uh, darn good. And um, yeah, I think they really, this fall has been probably their best fall for as consistency and bringing it every day and yeah we were just a hair away uh, from the semifinals there at the fall championships a little bit unfortunate there we were up 4-1 in the first set and just a really like fluky thing happened we got uh, hit by an overhead that was going about 50 yards out and it kind of like shook us up a little and then we had some chances to serve out the first set a lot had a set point there and let that slip away we won the second pretty routinely and then yeah you know those super tiebreakers could go either way and uh kind of some sloopy things happen there as well but the other team's an excellent team and just at the end of the day they beat us but uh yeah they, they, they really uh taken it to another level top no, gun and jc so no doubt about that and uh, it was the lost old dominion right at the national old dominion, and that's the correct. Set yeah. breaker and yeah. uh, what was so <laughs> impressive to me first of all both teams the way they crossed the way they moved forward that was it was just good doubles, and to your point, you know, and they, you know, they had preseason, you know, expectations. They were seated at both events, but something does seem to have clicked, like for Tatiana yeah. JC, where it's just again, there's a confidence now they're playing with, and it feels like you know, again, you've got a number one doubles team, and I want to get back to that doubles point momentarily. But one more returner I wanted to talk about uh, is Renee McBride, who obviously yeah. you look at what she was able to do uh, last season. It was a standout season for her at the back of the lineup, 10-2 and two at the number five singles position. And look, you look at the UTRs, 
and take it with a grain of salt for all of these players at the UTRs. It's still way too early to read too much into any of them, but with the addition of a number two recruiting class, you know, she is not in the power six of the UTR. That said, 14 and four in dual matches last season, you can't, you know, manufacture that sort of experience. What clicked for her so well? And again, to have four essentially, you know, upperclassmen here to return to lean on, how does that shape what you guys have been able to do this fall with the freshmen? Yeah, we've kind of got an interesting dynamic and we got a bunch of upperclassmen and a bunch of freshmen. So I do think our upperclassmen are, you know, great examples for the freshmen of they, the freshmen really kind of bought into our culture of it's just kind of like we get out there and we work hard and we have fun. You know, there aren't a ton of team rules necessary that, they, that necessar- necessarily that the Aggies make, but it's you get out there, you work hard, you're respectful and you're just here to get better every day and I think uh, the freshmen could see that pretty easily with how the upperclassmen get in uh, to the practices and uh, yeah I know Renee had, had an impressive year for us last year she, she hardly lost uh, matches there and uh, but yeah like you said it's uh, we've got some the you know the UTRs aren't the, the bible necessarily but uh, but yeah we've got some pretty good uh, freshmen there with some pretty high UTR. So there's definitely going to be some um, competition on who, who's making uh, the lineup here. So um, yeah, it's uh, a good, good problem to, to have, but it's crazy to think we're going to have some really good players that aren't going to get to play in all the matches. So. Yeah. No, talk, and, so with all that said, talk to me about the freshmen. You bring in the number two recruiting class, which by the way, bravo to you. Uh, that's pretty always awesome. But, um, you know, what have you seen from, you know, them in particular as a group? Have they gelled well? And I imagine for them in particular, that's probably got to be the best part of having a full fall. Yeah, the freshmen, you know, I, I would have to say Mary Spianas kind of stood out from the freshmen and, uh, you know, she's honestly had the best fall out of anyone on the team that's with the upperclassmen in, in, in included uh, I believe she's maybe four no or five and against ranked opponents maybe or something like that it's it's some crazy uh, stat there so she's uh yeah who knows how the lineup's gonna shape up but uh you know I would feel pretty comfortable if she ended up playing one I'm not saying she's gonna play one but it, we could throw her in at one and wow we've got a really good shot there and uh she came in just really uh, ready to go and uh, you know yeah we've got uh, you know Gianna Pilot uh, was another pretty big recruit there and um, yeah this past weekend didn't go quite the way we wanted but uh, yeah she won the Rice Invitational there uh, basically the played all the number one positions there and uh, won that so that was a very encouraging result there and uh, looking for just a little more consistency from her on a day-to-day basis as well and she's aware of that and uh, yeah Jeanette, Jeanette Morales she beat uh, Baylor's number one player this fall at Baylor and um, you know that was a very impressive win there so it's like yeah you know Jeanette's you know wherever she's going to be in the lineup I'm not so sure but uh, that's a pretty encouraging result there and uh, yeah Ellie Pittman started that a little bit slow in the fall and um, she's kind of starting to figure things out there and she went 3-0 and in our tournament this weekend here so there's you know lots of lots of uh, options there and uh, we'll just have to figure out the right uh, lineup we'll have time to do that. Mm-hmm. No and I'm curious because you know last year I look at the matches you guys played and, you know, in the matchup against Georgia, you know, they get you at four singles, they get you at six singles. And, you know, in the match against Florida State, you know, in the end, their depth sort of wins out as well. Do you feel like with the addition of this recruiting class, with the addition of or the returning of your seniors as well, you guys have the depth this year to, you know, compete one through six. And, you know, the numbers last year, you're over 500 in every, I think you won over 60% of all of your singles matches. But, you know, how important is that depth in today's college tennis? And, you know, quite frankly, do you think you got it this year? Yeah, I definitely think we have the depth this year. I kind of wish we could play eight singles matches, to, to, be, to be honest with you. But uh, I think the doubles is going to be uh, much stronger this year than than last year. We're, we're going to have some, uh, I think, three very strong doubles teams we're going to be able to put out there. And, uh, yeah, we had some unfortunate injuries towards the end of last season, kind of limited our options in the 
doubles. And uh, yeah, you know, we had talked, you had a great point of Tatiana and JC about the aggressive doubles play kind of from both those teams out there. And that's something that they've really embraced. And that's something that we're kind of working on uh, with the team overall in general. And we feel like we've kind of got some talent to do that and the game styles to play more of that aggressive minded doubles. You know, I really feel like in the scoring format these days, a set to six, no ad scoring, it's, you know, it's pretty hard to play like passive doubles in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps you can do it in a two out of three set match, no, no ad scoring. And I feel like in a, the bang, bang, bang format that we have, I really, at least my opinion is that you've got to really bring it and take it to the other team and put the pressure on. And I think we're going to have some, some, uh, you know, like I said, some of the new players coming in and even you mentioned Renee McBride, you know, she's almost a six foot tall girl with aggressive style. And, uh, so, so we'll have some good options there with the improved, uh, doubles teams from one through three and, and more depth. Uh, down low, uh, I think we're going to build upon the right solutions. Perfect. So you bring me to my doubles question, and I'm going to read the numbers. This might be where you swear at me. So, you know, just <laughs> brace yourself. But 11, 11 and 11 at number one doubles, 13 and 8 at two, 14 and 11 at three. I'm sure there are some doubles points you can think back to last season. You're kicking yourself over. And so I'm curious, is that a byproduct of again, a lack of, I'm sure it's all of these things, but a lack of continuity going into this season, just hard to get all the, all of these players enough doubles reps and find teams that work given the abbreviated fall. And, you know, I look overall and, you know, from a numbers perspective, I think he played nine teams last year. That's on the, you know, that's pretty average. As I look at all of these power five rosters, you know, was it a lack of just continuity in the Texas A&M double system, just a lack of clicking in the pairings? What didn't work as well last season that you focused on this fall? Yeah, you know, I, I take the doubles like uh, very personal. I like to think I, I knew how to play doubles back in my day. And, uh, you, you know, we've had a couple of All-American doubles teams in mm-hmm. the recent years, which we actually never had before. So I take a lot of pride in the doubles. And, uh, yeah, it's a very disappointing year of the doubles. I, I guess the coaches definitely need to take a little bit of the <laughs> blame and responsibility there. Uh, yeah, yeah, and who knows, maybe – you know, perhaps we should have split JC and Tatiana up last year to make us a little stronger at the two and the three position. That's always a tough call there. And uh, yeah, I believe a stat last year, I'm pretty sure when we did win the doubles point, I don't think we lost a match the whole year. So that really shows you how important the doubles is. And, uh, you know, playing against good teams, top 10 teams, it's hard to find four singles points, especially if you're playing on the road or even at a neutral side. So that's definitely last year's doubles was pretty low point of the season. And, but I guess on the other hand, uh, we really came back a lot of times after losing the doubles point. I think that really spoke highly to the girls, just kind of their will to get the, to the job done. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just, if I had to do last year's doubles over again, probably would have switched a few things around and, if I had known it wasn't going to go quite so well, we perhaps would have practiced a little bit more of some double skill, which I actually feel like we do a pretty good amount of. But, but yeah, boy, if we could have done 10% better, 20% better in the doubles, we had a very good season, but it, we could have for sure taken it to a, perhaps another level there. Well, with that said, do you consider breaking up JC and Tatiana at the start of this year? Obviously, they're a top 10 team. They're really freaking good. They can earn, <laughs> excuse me, a lot of wins at one, but... You've got a lot of freshmen to drag along as well. I'm curious when we, we you know, where you, if you want to listen to it, I suppose you can hear our thoughts on the Great Shot podcast talking at length about your team. That was one of the things we questioned is in January, in February, do you split them up to maybe drag some of the freshmen along and then reset come March, come April? That's uh, an excellent question. It's something that's definitely been considered and discussed. Uh, yeah, to be honest with you, uh, after, the, after they made All-American – I can remember uh, Jordan Zabo and my assistant uh, meeting with the girls individually, kind of the end of season uh, meetings we always have. And we, we actually told them we're going to most likely split you guys up, um, you know, and I think that partly is to get their attention and, and uh, to their credit, uh, they're like, we really want to play together. And so I think, <laughs> I think that meeting actually contributed somewhat to them having such a good fall because they really wanted to stick together, but uh, that's definitely being discussed and considered as splitting them up. Because at the end of the day, I'm all about 
the team and uh, you know JC and Tatiana have already made all American and uh, you know perhaps uh, you, you know it's all about the best way for us to get the doubles points. So uh, yeah, you know we're still uh, perhaps have some uh, roster changes coming in, additions coming in in the spring, and we're kind of waiting for that to play out a, a bit there. So we've kind of told the girls all year, hey, we're switching the doubles up a lot this fall. We practice with different partners almost every day. Uh, we're waiting for January to get here to start figuring things out even more. It's all about improving our double skills and how we play individually. We've been having the girls practice playing on the do side, practice returning on the ad side. Don't get too stuck or too comfortable on what side you're playing uh, because yeah, come January, we're open to all all options there and splitting JC and Tatiana up is definitely not something that isn't strongly being considered. So we'll see. No, yeah. And you know, you're going to have a bunch of opportunities before the kickoff weekend. You've got three double headers planned. So six matches to get repetitions. And given you've said you'd like to play eight singles players, I'm sure you're going to get a bunch of reps for a bunch of players throughout the weekend, at, uh, those days as well. But, you know, you look at the kickoff weekend. Princeton's coming to town right, uh, you know, round number one. And we saw Daria Freeman, finalist at the National Fall Championships. And, you know, Brianna Schwetz was excellent during the 2020 season. Vicky, who's got a ton of talent, and then you go up and down that lineup. That is no easy kickoff weekend for the Aggies uh, this season. You know, as you look at the schedule, what, what were your thoughts this year? I'm, you know, I'm looking up and down. I'm sure there are some dates still not posted out there. But, you know, you guys are getting after it this year. Yeah, we've got a pretty uh, good schedule there. And, yeah, yeah, boy, that Princeton team is very, very good. You know, that's uh, potentially a top 10, top 15 uh, team. Uh, you know, I would say definitely a top 20, top 25 team, uh, perhaps even a top 10 team if things go well for them. I believe they've got a pretty tough schedule. looks like they've done a pretty good job in their uh, scheduling there. They've got an excellent team. And, you know, yeah, we were all excited to host. And the way the draft was playing out, I was like, oh, we're going to have a pretty good – first round draw then you know ah crap Princeton I forgot about Princeton they didn't play last year so that was uh yeah the Aggies better be ready to go so we're obviously excited to host and uh Princeton's got an excellent team this year so we'll have to be ready which I know we will we're starting back January 3rd uh in our, our official practices and yeah like you said we've got a ton of double headers and uh yeah we want to you know have the all the girls have opportunities to compete early on and prove themselves and get that especially the freshman getting the true feeling of the dual matches and um yeah it's uh, it's going to be a tough draw there and uh, yeah whoever wins or loses will play south carolina or texas tech those are two pretty solid teams there as well south carolina's top three or very, very strong uh, there. So, but uh, yeah, it's going to be an exciting kickoff weekend. Uh, hopefully we get some good weather here in the uh, end of January. Whole, uh, no, they actually, I was talking with the ITA. They're just going to give your winner's region just a spot in the quarterfinals. So like you guys can skip the round of 16. You've done through enough during the kickoff weekend, but I'm curious from a scheduling standpoint last year, uh, you know, something they waived was the 500 rule because for some schools you couldn't play out of conference. And for those that don't know the 500 rule, you have to be 500 or better to qualify for the NCAA tournament. We all remember the 22 match Tuesday played by Arkansas a couple of years ago and legendary incident. But would you be fine if, you know, moving forward, the 500 rule was just waived permanently? I think the 500 rules should be waived per, uh, permanently. We, we, you know, just even from my experience, we had a very strong team. I believe it was about four or five seasons ago, and we, we were 10 and 10 going in the final five matches. We, we were in the top 20 the entire season, never dropped out of the top 20. 10 and 10 going in the five SEC matches, uh, four of which I believe were on the road, four of which were against top 25 teams. And that's pretty scary to think. Uh, yeah, as a team, we beat Georgia. Uh, they were number two there uh, on the road. Uh, we beat, uh, I believe it was Tennessee, and I forget, perhaps Kentucky and one other team. But if we don't play good tennis there at the end of the season, we end up winning four out of five of those matches. I believe they're all on the road or mostly on the road. And then uh, against top 25 programs, we don't make the NCAA tournament. This is a team that we made the national indoors. We had a they had had, some, had a win or two there at the National Indoors, beat 
number two, Georgia at Georgia. And then we were almost didn't make the tournament. So, you know, especially with Texas and Oklahoma joining our league and uh, I believe 2025 is still the year they're telling us. Uh, yeah, you're adding in uh, Texas is one of the best programs in the nation with, with my good buddy, uh, Howard Jaffe there. And then, uh, you know, Oklahoma has had a pretty strong team in recent years. And, and I, I feel like they're just a hair away of, you know, kind of being in a more of a top 20 uh, level there. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty scary SEC. You know, like you said, we've been down maybe last year, the year before, but our down years are pretty, pretty tough. So, hey, you bring some of these programs like Florida and Vanderbilt back into their kind of glory, typical years, top 10 programs. And then you throw in, you know, if you've got a lot of national championship coaches in, all in one league, that's uh, pretty tough to, because uh, you make the national indoors, you know, you're playing three guaranteed top 15 programs. You could go three at the national indoors with the top 10 team. Then you play the SEC schedule. And before you know it, you're not making the NCAA tournament with a very good team. I think the 500 rules should definitely go away. Yeah. And it's interesting. Again, you, you talk about your conference uh, and just the depth uh, you, you see without it uh, or throughout it. I'm curious, you know, again, I mentioned this at the top, six out of the last eight years, you guys have made the NCAA round of 16 or better. And I'm curious, what does that say about your program? I know I asked this a little bit earlier, but, you know, is round of 16 now the expectation for you is, you know, competing for a conference crown in a year where, you know, the era of Katarina Jokic is over. And obviously there were a ton of, it wasn't just her, it was Elena, it was Marta as well. But it's a young SEC conference. It does feel like there's, you know, some new faces emerging, and certainly in Tatiana and JC and in uh, Townsend, you guys have perhaps the most experienced top three returning. You know, what are the standards now, if you don't mind me asking, at A&M? Is it compete for the conference, make the round of 16? Yeah, I mean, I, I, if we're not um, competing for the SEC title this year or in – at least the sweet 16, I'll, I'll be disappointed and <laughs> be honest with you, it, but it, it's not that easy making the sweet 16. You know, the crazy thing is the last three uh, sweet 16s we've made, we've all done that on the road, <laughs> you know, which is even crazier to think. And of course, last year we were uh, short changed with getting the host. We were the 10 C and with the COVID stuff, we, we had to go play Northwestern on the road, but it, it's definitely not easy to make the sweet 16, but that's kind of getting the point where that's almost like, I don't want to say the bare minimum, but it's definitely the expectation. I, I can't even remember. I brought up our end of season meetings last year in Orlando, and I remember meeting with Renee McBride and telling her and the team how proud I am of them. And, you know, Sweet 16 is just uh, an um, impressive accomplishment. And I just said, uh, I'm not trying to sound <laughs> Uh, dismissive or anything, or anything we've done, but I, I want more. I want more than the Sweet 16. And that's just uh, it's kind of. Remember saying it's been there, done that. Uh, it's not that easy to do by any means, but but we want more here. We feel like we have the talent here to to do more. But yeah, I think anything less than the Sweet 16 and and having a, uh, a run there at winning the conference. Uh, yeah, I think that anything less than that, I think we'd all be a little bit uh, feel like we underperformed. But uh, yeah, it's you know we've only done it seven times in the history of the program and we've done it six out of the last eight years so uh aggies um are, are on, the, on the right road that's for sure no absolutely and with all of that said again i want to ask you about some couple big picture things but you know i'm asking all of these coaches this and i don't know if your sid told you we're trying to interview every power five men's and women's coach because as I mentioned before, we started the podcast. I don't have friends at this point. I have you guys. And so got to talk to as many of you as I can. Um, something I want to offer every school, and in particular, because I know for a lot of parents and players and just followers of college tennis, we don't get to hear enough from you coaches. And so what I wanted to offer every coach the chance to do, give me the recruiting pitch. How does Coach Mark Weaver bring in the number two recruiting class in the country? Why should I come down to school and be an Aggie? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Coach Sabo, I've got the best assistant coach in the nation. I'm quite sure of that. So, uh, yeah, we've got a great uh, uh, recruiting uh, spiel we've, we've got. And, uh, yeah, you know, I guess even before Jordan did get here, we had the number two recruiting class with the JC and the Katia, and then we did it again here with 
uh, Jordan, and uh, he's doing an amazing job there with recruiting. And uh, yeah, we uh, we really sell them on just how we run things here. Uh, you know, we just do a really get after it in the in the private hits. I think that's one of the big sells there is we really get out, put in the actual physical work on the court uh, with the girls. We do probably about four one-hour private hits every every week, uh, at least in the fall. And, um, you know, not only is that a great way to develop each of the student-athletes' uh, actual tennis games, it, it, it's also a great way to just kind of have that face time with and getting to know the girls, getting to talking about how's life, how's classes, how's, how's everything going. And, uh, you know, in the team format at practice, the team practice, it's – tough to help them with their individual needs. You know, it's kind of a general, uh, hey, we need to close in more at the net or, you know, we need to get our first serve in. But, you know, in the individual um, practices that we do, we just do a ton of that and we're able to help them more with, wouldn't necessarily say we get in a ton of technique, but we definitely can work on more things like maybe it's your slice backhand, maybe it's your return of serve, maybe it's taking a ball and coming to the net behind it. Uh, maybe it's, you know, more net clearance. So, you know, we're able to kind of get their individual needs. And, uh, you know, and we really, uh, we, we want the kids that come in, you know, we want them to come in wanting to be professional tennis players. It's definitely not a requirement, but that's kind of a, one of our big sells is we want to en encourage that and help you with that as much as we can, whether that means take them to, some pro events in the fall and uh you know we definitely encourage uh that that mindset uh, there and uh yeah i think uh, you've been very gracious and talked about our successes and i think a lot of people can see uh it's a program that's headed in the right direction i don't know if there's another program that's made such upward progress over the last 10 10 years or so and i think that people is kind of catching a lot of the big recruits attention there and we've got some great kids you know in some ways I feel like uh, Riley McQuaid was, in a way was kind of like when I offered her that scholarship she's the type of girl that I want on our uh, on our team the representative of our program and uh you know Riley yeah she played maybe five or six singles three doubles most of her career but boy what a team leader what spunk she had and you know everybody loved Riley McQuaid kind of the you know golden girl in USJ tennis and in a way I, I really do feel like that kind of jump started some all of a sudden, you know, JC Goldsmith, Katia Townsend, and we just kind of get some momentum going there. And, uh, you know, even next year's team, it's going to be basically all American team other than we, we just signed the Canadian girl who's an excellent uh, player there. So, but uh, yeah, I think people, uh, state of Texas is an amazing place to live in right now. And, uh, you know, Texas A&M, if anybody's ever been on our campus or ever been, even at a football game, what, what an amazing place uh, Texas A&M is. And uh, we're finally starting to get these top Americans on our campus. And they're like, wow, this is a really special, unique place. Whereas before, it, it, we were having a tough time getting them on our campus. Once they get, get on our campus, I feel like eight out of ten times, they're, boy, it's a no-brainer. This is where I want to come. So. Yeah, no, and it's interesting. Again, you talk about the makeup of your team and Right now in particular, you know, perhaps for coaches it might be enticing to go after Americans given the changes in NIL rules. And obviously NIL name image likeness for the listeners that don't know. I'm curious for you, A, if NIL has impacted any of your recruiting. But B, you know, again, my theory is, yeah, the, the big state schools will be fine because the Michigans of the world, the Ohio States of the world, whatever, you're going to have a big enough alumni base and some sort of fanatic tennis fan who's going to be able to facilitate those sorts of things. But it's also the communities like College Station where, you know, everything is Texas A&M. It's a Texas A&M town that are best positioned to take advantage of these new rules how do you see NIL impacting recruiting moving forward? Do you think it impacts recruiting moving forward? I do think it does. We definitely are bringing that up nowadays. And, of course, we can't promise or guarantee any recruit anything. But, yeah, we already have a couple girls in the team are already benefiting from the NIL. They're making money off that. And, uh, you know, just uh, the, the recruits see those things. And uh, they see it on their Instagram and their 
social media. And uh, yeah, if there's ever a place to benefit off the NIL for a, a women's tennis team, it, it, it's Texas A&M. Uh, it, it is, like you said, a college town. We when we go out to lunch as a team or, you know, they're like, oh, that's the AM tennis team or that's the AM tennis coach. Whereas in the bigger cities, no one probably knows or even really cares all that much. But at Texas A&M, you know, I've been here forever, played here in the early 90s. You know, I, I, I know everybody in town, you know, it's just uh, I'm not trying to sound like I'm some big deal or anything like that, yeah, but, sure. but, but, it, but it is different. It's just a small town, and the community comes out and supports all the sports, all the teams. You go eat at Nukes or Jason's Deli. You know, people look and they actually pay attention. And uh, you know, you see these owners of these businesses, and it's like, wow, I would like to help this person out. You know, so it really is uh, probably the perfect uh, situation for someone to benefit off of the, the NIL uh, situation. It'll be interesting to see how that all evolves over the, the coming years but uh, yeah college town college station you can't ask for much more than that if that's what you're looking for no absolutely i'm curious on a similar note transfers and obviously right now five graduating classes in college tennis there's just more players than there normally are but how do you i mean i think i see the answer given the composition of your roster but how do you balance those two things of building for the future through freshmen and the normal recruiting process versus, you know, the apple of your eye being like, hey, I need a five singles player and a three doubles player, and that player exists on the transfer portal. I can bring her in right now, feel comfortable. How do you balance those two things? Yeah, you know, we've had a few transfers over the years. Uh, Yeah, you know, we definitely are are looking at the transfer portal quite often. We haven't taken advantage of it too much, I guess, since, you know, all the – how easy they made it uh, now for, for the kids. I, I think it's almost a little uh, too easy. Perhaps you, you get upset about I played number one or I played two, but I shouldn't play in one and all of a sudden the kids on the transfer portal. But I do think it does serve some good purposes of if a kid, you know, happens to choose the wrong uh, program, it does make it an easy way out for, for those that perhaps, you know, made a mistake on where they should have gone. But uh, yeah, we're always stalking the, transfer portal um yeah at the end of the day i think we've done a lot of our recruiting of just kind of the kind of the way recruiting was meant in my opinion that you you get a kid that played you know junior tennis went through high school and graduated and they come play in college rather than yeah it's hard to turn down someone who's Mm -hmm. 300 wta and 20 years old or or coming in a top 10 transfer from another program and uh, i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that whatsoever but it is kind of interesting how some teams have definitely taken full advantage of those <laughs> transfer deals and, and some haven't and uh yeah definitely nothing wrong with it as i said but I, I do think it is easier to have a good team culture of when people are coming in kind of straight out of high school and and, and rather than yeah you get the fifth-year senior coming in here, another one from over there, all of a sudden, it's just kind of, it's a strange uh, element to it, I would I, w- I would think. But uh, yeah, we, of course, would take, uh, if they're the right kid, uh, we would, of course, take a transfer at any <laughs> any time. So. Yeah, no, totally fair. How helpful is it to have you and Jordan and now Bjorn as well, you know, all people who played at A&M, all people who are very familiar with College Station, I imagine that helps all of these freshmen uh, makes their transition a little easier. Yeah, that's a great point, bringing up uh, – and that is part of our recruiting uh, that we talk sure. about. I don't know if there's a – maybe there's a few places, but I, I don't know. It would be hard to find the head coach, assistant, volunteer all played at, at Texas A&M, and uh, that's definitely a strong selling point uh, for us. And, uh, yeah, Bjorn's been awesome, just the energy that he brings. And, you know, he was a two-time All-American and – doubles and uh yeah he, he hits in with the girls uh, a lot and and jordan does as well and uh I, I like to as well i'm unfortunately turning 50 here in a few months and uh got the torn hamstring and then uh, limping around a little bit but uh yeah those guys are, are bringing it just the great energy and uh yeah bjorn's doing doing awesome i hope we can keep him around a little bit longer but yeah i think that it, it tells you a lot about 
Texas A&M. This, this is this is where we want to be. We went here, played here, graduated here, and we we stayed here. So um, yeah, I think that really makes it a, a pretty special environment. Well, that's a perfect segue for me, Coach, because with your birthday in mind, I have some rule changes, uh, some suggestions, I suppose, for college tennis moving forward. So let's have some fun here down the home stretch. Something I think is a wasted opportunity uh, is just the coin toss. I think we're better than that. I think we can just get the excitement of the crowd going right away. So there will be a rule after the age of 50. You can just have your assistant play. But before then, in lieu of the coin toss, one point, drop and hit, head coach versus head coach, start of the match, <laughs> winning coach decides the serving arrangements everywhere. Yeah, I think that's great. I was very uh, creative there. I'd be for it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would uh, I would take that. I think we would be in pretty good shape on a lot of those. Yeah, just NCAA <laughs> round of 16, you versus Howard. Like, you're telling me that's not must-see TV or, like, you know, I'm thinking about an all-Ohio State staff, uh, Tucker Cronaghi at Ohio State. Like, Tucker versus Woodruff. Like, we're all stopping and watching that point. And it's just <laughs> going to be delightful, builds accountability. Like, you know, if Tatiana can come up to you and say, Coach, you've lost three in a row. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, step up your game a little bit. <laughs> um, I just think it's a win for everyone. I love that. That's awesome. No, I think, think we should really push for that. So, yeah, uh, awesome. yeah head coach versus head coach, assistant versus assistant. Maybe it's a little bit of the doubles there, too. So, I think that's – I'd be for it. I'm in. I just want to hear Weaver from the crowd. They're just going again, and they're getting after it. It would be uh, fantastic. Another one, calling a timeout. Now, I know it's tennis, and you have changeovers, so technically there are built-in timeouts in every match. But if you could call just one three-minute timeout at any point of the duel and just be like, all right, everyone, I need everyone to bring it in here on court three because we are playing awful, right? Like, we just got broken on five courts. Come on, timeout, bring it in. Is that something you're in favor of? Uh, you know, you're very creative. I like this. You know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of the bathroom break, but, uh, you know, I, I actually think that's, uh, I love your thinking there. So I might actually definitely never thought of it, but uh, I think that'd be pretty cool, actually. I, I would have to think about that one there. So I, I like your thinking, though. Thank you. Again, I've, I've got them all. I've got even more. Uh, it, gets, it gets crazier from here. All right, something I think, and I know this is a TV thing, and it's a little frustrating, uh, but just the, I, I feel like we lose the, all of the momentum because the doubles point is the most exciting thing in all of college tennis. It's 40 minutes. It's Russian roulette. It's as good as it gets. Three courts. You can actually follow everything as a fan, and it's just perfect. The problem is there's then the five-minute lull between doubles and singles, and honestly, the thir- first 30 minutes of singles don't really mean anything. And so in lieu of that, we're changing the format again. Two doubles matches – three singles matches, everything starts at once, everything's worth one point. We can get into the substitution pattern so as to not typecast singles or doubles players, but just I'm curious, do you feel that momentum lost at all between doubles and singles? There definitely is. Um, you know, when I played, we, at least the first two years, we would always start with singles first followed by doubles, and it was best of nine points, doubles counted as a, every match counted as a point. It was nothing more exciting than playing the doubles for the team win. Uh, we, uh, I can still recall my sophomore year, me and my doubles partner, Bernardo Martinez, it came down to our last match. Uh, we played one double there five times. It came down to our point. I guarantee you that's far more exciting when it comes <laughs> down to the doubles than it does uh, the singles. I wish there was a way we could actually do the doubles on the back end I guess the only problem is that is sometimes it, it would you know the match would be over to get to there but I would be open to those things I think uh I think there are ways to kind of make it more perhaps fan friendly there definitely is you know even for us a lot of times we'll maybe get decent crowds for the doubles and then there's that five minute break and then there is that lull and then you know sometimes they go watch basketball after or baseball after and you know if it was perhaps all in one section there I, I think it's definitely worth worth uh, thinking about but you know as you said I guess we're kind of landlocked in the way it has to be on six courts so it would be tough to you know a lot of people I guess would be not getting to play singles but I guess in a way though everybody is getting to play you would still have what 10 athletes out there performing which actually might be more than 
what they're doing uh, right now. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's you're, you're uh, yeah, you, you got some great ideas there. Is I have too much time on my hands. Is the real truth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you could use a substitution, would you ever? Like, have you ever just been like, man, I just I screwed up this lineup. I would like to make a switch. I would. I would. I remember back in my volunteer coaching days, which was a long time ago, about 20 years ago, I took two of the girls and two of the boys to, it was to the, uh, I believe it was called the, maybe the national mixed doubles championship, the Billie Jean King out in San Diego. And we were able to do that. And it was actually fun. And and I actually made a change and it, it, it was actually like a fun thing to do and the kids <laughs> yeah. embraced it and uh yeah i think we switched it down 4-1 and i think we came back and won the set 6-4 maybe and uh I, I would be for it i think that would be neat i think it'd be a great way to get playing time in some some kids that don't get to get to play and uh yeah so we definitely screwed up as coaches sometimes with the lineup we could all use a crystal ball and uh i think it would be a fun way and uh, i think the crowd might get a kind of a kick about that i guarantee you they would move down the if your change is at court six a lot of them probably move from court one to court six to see out let's see if coach knows what he's doing here that's what i'm saying i'm all in favor of that uh again last last couple here we talk all the time college is a viable pathway to the pros is you know things like the eight hour rule 25 competitive dates is that enough? Uh, should, you know, again, did the hours be changed to reflect the modern demands of the sport? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the eight-hour rule. I think mm-hmm. there's better ways we could, you know, whatever for whatever real reasons it, 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 that we're doing that. Yeah, of course, around finals, the kids need to be able to focus on their schoolwork. Um, but it, we are really getting pretty hand-tied with uh, what we can do. Um, you know, most of our girls that we recruit though want to be just better tennis players and then they're actually they'll come to us some voluntary basis and say hey can I get a private in and uh you know so the, the good news is it, it, our our girls are still getting the working because they want to be better tennis players but yeah I, you know I get the reasoning why we're doing it but I do think it's somewhat drastic in some ways it, it, you know it seemed like first few weeks here we're in the eight hour week and then yeah we make a good momentum of maybe it's 10 weeks of really good practice and then you go back down to the you know eight hour and then you know we're probably not getting to see the girls for almost over the winter break it's we're gonna it's almost like an eight nine week deal where we're hardly even getting to be around you know it'd be the same for every program with the holidays and the finals but you know the 25 matches i the spring is definitely enough uh for sure there's there's plenty of tennis in the spring perhaps we need to find a way to maybe get a few more fall events uh, in but um yeah i i think 25 is a reasonable number but perhaps there needs to be a little bit more fall uh, matches in so maybe we could stop hiding the duels if that number was just a little bit we could just say yeah it's a warm-up duel sure. not a hidden duel like again right, the worst right. branding in all of sports um all right, last two for you. Was Christina actually good at basketball? Because like, <laughs> I've seen the stats. I've seen the footage. I mean, come on. Well, Christina and I are, are great buddies. We've got a great <laughs> relationship. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I got to see her this weekend. And, uh, yeah, we're pretty close and staying in uh, good contact with each other. But I have to say – wasn't a very good basketball player, but she is actually a, actually a pretty good soccer player. The like she actually could uh, play some soccer, and uh, yeah, that she definitely had a passion for the soccer. But yeah, what an amazing deal! She played three uh, sports here. She had an amazing career in tennis, and I know the soccer was very enjoyable for her. Was a good, pretty good soccer player, and then uh, yeah, the basketball. I, I, I don't think the WNBA, uh, I don't think she was uh, quite in contention to making the draft there. So. I asked her if you could replay match point against Robin Anderson or score your lone varsity goal again, which would you pick? And she said, Alex, it's goal without question. She's like, <laughs> yeah. I've only scored one goal. I've won many of matches. And so uh, it was funny to hear her say that. But no, again, yeah, big fan of hers as well. My last question to you. Uh, and it's a little sappy, so I apologize. But when you know college tennis fans watch your team compete this season, what do you want the takeaway to be? Well, you know, we uh, 
I hope that we're uh, making the Aggies proud out there. So I really hope that we're in the championship matches in the SEC, and, and I hope we are in the final days of the NCAA tournament. Uh, I know there's some high expectations, not only from us, just from the coaching staff and the girls and the team. Uh, I think our fans, there's definitely a lot of talk going on this year. So I sure hope we don't uh, let anyone down. I can guarantee it won't be from lack of effort. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think the fans, when they, they come out, it, tennis is such a neat sport. Um, you know, I even had a good friend of mine who's a, um, a retired doctor in town. And he's like, out of all the sports at uh, Texas A&M, you can actually get up close and personal with the kids far more in tennis than you can perhaps on the football field or the basketball. So our fans, you know, really do get to know the girls and they, you know, they, they sometimes get their favorites and uh, yeah, we just want to make them proud and give them something good to cheer about. There's always excitement in the crowd. And uh, I know our girls are great representatives of our program and they really get into the matches and are passionate and screaming for each other. And uh, we've got some really good team harmony on the court you see, and that really kind of helps the crowd get into it as well. So yeah, hopefully we get some, great weather this year and get some, uh, over the years, we've had some really good crowds and um, I know we're working hard on getting the fan attendance up, but we, we sure want to make the Aggies proud this year. A head coach versus head coach point would seal it for you. It would be full stands, match in, match out. But uh, no, again, uh, I always sincerely appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And yeah, for what it's worth, the summary of the podcast for on our side was number nine with room to grow entering the season. So take that however you'd like to take it. Uh, but of course, uh, Coach Weaver, sincerely thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Wishing you and the team safety, health, and of course, uh, success throughout the course of the 2022 season. Thanks, Alec. You're the best in the business. You're doing great things for college tennis. We really appreciate what, what you're doing. Keep well, up I, the great work. I appreciate you saying that, Coach Weaver. Thanks so much. It's it's Gigum, right? That's the move? Gigum. Gigum. Right. So yeah. Much. Yep. Take care. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Texas A&M women's tennis head coach Mark Weaver. A thank you to him for offering as much time as he did. I always tell these coaches 30 to 40 minutes work, and we always end up right around, if not over that hour mark. So again, a thank you to him, and we are wishing he and his team health and success, of course, throughout the 2022 season. If you want to hear more about the Aggies, hop on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. John Parsons, a.k.a. Jay, and myself broke down the Aggies at length there. You can read more about them, as John wrote about it, for our website, CrackRackets.com. You can watch more of them on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, as well as we do our best to prepare you for the start of another college tennis season. Of course, over these next, what, nine weeks, we'll be breaking down our remaining top eight the teams in our preseason rankings. Every Tuesday, going to be the women moving forward. Every Thursday, going to be the men. And of course, again, going to try and interview the head coaches for these teams, talk about them on the Great Shot podcast, just cover it from each and every angle. So we hope, you know, again, we hit you on your team. And if there are any teams, any questions you all have throughout the process, you all know you can reach out to us at Great Shot Pod, at Crack Rackets. Of course, all the content available on the website, crackrackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at the aforementioned at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I'm at Great Shot Pod. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, our mini break podcast, Great Shot Podcast, and Crack Rackets YouTube channel so you don't miss out on any of our content. Speaking of which, all of that content only made possible because of the fantastic work of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal, tennis dash point.com the promo code is cr15 with all of that said for texas a&m women's tennis head coach mark weaver for our super producer daniel westoff and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you've been listening to another edition of the cracked interviews podcast stay safe stay healthy we'll talk to you all soon thanks everyone 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 